0: Put the fucking mic
1: on. How we doing, folks? It's your boy, DP Barstool Sports, starting nine, and you are listening to the end of the bench. Scoot your ass down. Today's guest is a very interesting one for the fact of how I got him on the podcast. Now, when I reach out to guests, I go through the DMs, I go through emails, I go through agents or PR reps. This one was a little different. I tweeted at him. All-star outfielder Adam Jones tweeted out, who wants a guest on their podcast? I got shit to talk about. So I said, look, I'm going to shoot my shot. I'm drinking my coffee, right place at the right time. Why not? I'll shoot or shoot. Shoot or shoot. And guess what? We were tweeting at each other, went to the DMs after that, and now we have a two-hour interview for you right now with Adam Jones and I. We talked about his career, his unbelievable catch in 2017 in the World Baseball Classic. And something I'm sure you guys didn't even know about. He wants to be a major league manager one day. We talked about that and where the passion came from. And do you think he can actually do it? So if you like these interviews, like the one you're about to watch, and you've listened to and watched the other interviews I've done over the years, subscribe to the channel. Please subscribe. You'll be able to see other interviews I've done over the years and the ones coming up in the future more content to come. And if you type in taylorringle.com, you can look at all my content organized and other things about me. So if you like Adam Jones, and if you like baseball, two hours of that is coming up right now. Enjoy. Today's guest, we have a Five time all star, four time full glover, a 14 year major league vet, and current outfielder for the Oryx Buffaloes is Adam Jones. Adam, thanks for coming on the pod, man. I really appreciate it.
2: Glad we're able to, just glad we're able to make make it work. You know, everybody's Absolutely. busy all this time to on the side of the world. So I'm glad we're able to make it work. And uh, I think we both have some interesting topics and interesting uh, perspectives on things. So it's, it, I think podcasts are great. It just allows you to, be yourself without being uber, uber censored, but allows you to, you know, have candid conversations, not the Absolutely. conversations obviously you have with your friends on the back porch where you're drinking, but you can have uh you can, you can express yourself in a in, uh, multifaceted ways.
1: Yeah. You know, and I've been following for you uh, on Twitter for a while and you have over 500,000 followers. So you have a big voice. And yesterday Uh, 9.58 New York time. Now, you for people listening at home, you live in Japan because you play overseas for the Oryx Buffaloes, and it's 10 p.m. currently for you. You tweeted out, who needs a guest on a podcast? I got shit to talk. So I was like, hey, look, I caught that at the right time. I was drinking my coffee. I'm on Twitter scrolling like I always do. And I said, (laughs) shit, I got to just hit him up and just, you know what? You know what? I'm just going to give it a try. And we started talking, and now we're and now you're on. It's the beauty, and there's a blessing and a curse when it comes to Twitter. Twitter is a gross, ugly sure, space, and it's also great.
2: You know? For 100%. Social media is a place of just, like, I've, I've, I've gained and been able to connect with so many of my fans, people that support me, people that don't necessarily support me, but people that appreciate the game, people that appreciate, obviously, you know, other fans, obviously, being in American League East, Red Sox fans, Yankees, Blue Jays, Tampa fans, I, you know I've been able to interact with all of them on all type of levels, positive, negative, appreciative, non-appreciative, charitable, you know, just all different levels. And I think social media, the good of it offers that is the connectability to anybody. I think that obviously the negative of it is you got people that can, you know everybody is like an asshole, everybody has one, uh, an opinion. So you can obviously say whatever you want to say and things like that. And, you know, I've heard a plethora of nasty things from all fan bases. I do want so, to get into you know, it, I, it's, I, I take the good and the bad. I,
1: yeah, so we have a lot to break down. I want to talk about your your major league career then going overseas, but I really want to talk about what I think is one of the bigger spots in your career was the world baseball class that you make you one of the best catches I think anybody's mm-hmm. ever seen in a moment like that. So I do want to start off you're, when you got drafted by the Mariners, the feeling I've had, I've interviewed some ball players before and I talk about the moment of getting drafted. It's something that right. you can never remake again. It's, it's a one moment. Uh You can hit a million home runs and it might still feel like that the same feeling. I would love to hear the story about when you were drafted, uh, who was with you, who was around you. Um, Surprising moment for you? Was it the Mariners you were looking for? I'll break that down.
2: I mean, it's, it's like yesterday to be honest with you. Um, so I'll, being on the West Coast, the draft's East Coast. So the draft starts at one o'clock on the East Coast, and me, um, you know, obviously June is finals for uh, for California schools. So I'm in finals. I'm literally in government class, but are um, studying for the final like it's quiet there's no lecturing nothing but my teacher at the time Mr. Abrahamson he was our previously he was one of our baseball coaches so he knew and I informed him that look hey is the draft I got a cell phone if I get a text message can I answer it because the possibility of me getting drafted today is really high and he's like hey I understand it if you get a buzz I could take it outside don't interrupt anybody but please, you know, do what you got to do. And, and if you, when you come back, let us all know, because you know, it's, it's exciting for everybody. And um, about uh, about 10, I can't remember the time, but around 10, 10, 15, uh, I got a, my phone was buzzing and my advisor at the time, you can't call them, you can't call them agents in high school. You got to call them advisors. You
1: yeah. you call exactly. them agents,
2: that means that you're getting, that means you're you're benefiting some sort of way. And uh, he called right. me and said, yeah, the Mariners took you 37th overall. And I'm sitting there like, huh? <laughs> he's like, yeah, the Mariners, like what? Like I'm right outside the class. Like the Mariners took you 37th overall. And my projectability, I'm like, I think it was three to five, three, third to fifth round. So he's like, yeah, they, we, like you went higher than expected because at these, at these tournaments, these new tournaments, because I, like, up until my senior year, I didn't go to the biggest of the biggest tournaments because you got to pay for them. Like I didn't have the I didn't have the money, the resources to pay for uh, the Baseball America's the Perfect Games. But once I got into after my junior year and approaching my senior year, um, s- certain teams were like, "Hey." I know you ain't got the money to pay for these tournaments, but we'll sponsor you and pay for you. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> I, I, I'll go, I'll fly. And then I went to, I remember, I'll never forget, going to Florida and playing in one of the perfect game tournaments and playing for the California blaze. And uh, they paid for everything. And this team was stacked through the, the top, but it was California team. And I knew some, I knew a lot of, actually I knew a lot of guys on the team from playing against them in previous tournaments. And they inserted me in there on their team batting third, playing shortstop. And I'm like, hold on, you got all these other guys. You and like they that's just how they valued me. And I balled out in that tournament and Damn just, right you did. just started to garner just started to garner more attention nationally. And I just was like, okay. You know, they, they took me third. And I I didn't understand how to process it because I'm a 17-year-old kid, you know, from inner cities and so I'm just like, what, what like really, really? What does that mean? Took the thirty seventh overall. What does that mean? And I come back in, and the teacher's like, "Hey, uh, what happened? What was a phone call?" And I was like, "The Mariners took me thirty seventh overall," and the whole class just started clapping and like just gave me a, a really nice round of applause. And I mean, thirty seventh out of the possible four million, yeah, available to be to be drafted each year. Like, I just was like what the hell is going
0: on around here
2: like this is like seriously and then after the class I called my mom I called my brother and I was like yeah the Mariners just took me 37th overall and like I don't I have no idea my advisor drove down to San Diego uh because he was from uh, in uh Irvine at the time and drove down and was like yeah well you know uh let's like the next process just just first off to congratulate me and then the, obviously the next process yeah of, it's a big process uh, you know talk, talking to the team but he'd had previous previous draft picks so he' just like this is how you process it slow down take a deep breath like you know this we have a team that really wants you we're going to start negotiations with them you know as soon as tomorrow to try and get you in our uniform but I already committed to San Diego state I already committed to Tony Gwynn. At the same time, like uh, Big a couple commitment, of months earlier, hometown so. guy, right? Exactly, and so it's like, damn. I tell Tony, like, what, like, and obviously, you're the, Tony Gwynn already knew that I was drafted. So right. uh, the the next day, he contacted me and was like, congratulations on the pick, and you know, and just like, just let me know if you need any advice on anything going both ways. You know, if you lean in a college route, if you lean the pro route, like, just. Just if you need some advice, talk to me. Hey, that's not like a bad guy door, to have to give you some
1: advice. That's not bad at all. Bro, that's
0: not, I <laughs> was able
2: to, I was, I was able to I was able to hit with him for 10 years. I was able to be around that man for 10 off seasons. Hey, you know what? You're a great player. Practice.
1: He probably made you a 10 times better player. Um, because it's, he's one of the greatest hitters of all time and one of the greatest baseball minds all of all time. It's insane.
2: He made that's, me a better, he, he made me a better a man. he made me a better man not just a That's better not just a better baseball he made me a better man because our skill set was different I'm taller I'm laying uh you know my just my skill set was different but TG was fast he had a good arm at all the things when he was young it just it was just a different point in times of our careers uh, but he taught me how to just process mm. to process everything because you know it's coming fast everything's is coming fast you know, you're drafted and you're signed, and you go to some po dump ass uh, city. Like I went from San Diego, great city, big city, massive yeah. metropolis. To I went to I went to Phoenix for a couple of weeks for the when I first signed, and then yeah. I went to Appleton, Wisconsin. Like oh, that's yeah. just 30 minutes south of Green Bay, it, mid, the middle of nowhere. Let's be honest with ourselves. Appleton's the middle of nowhere, and but to go from a big city of San Diego, four million people, to go to a place that is. 300,000, a town, flat, uh, tornado warnings, deer in the outfield because, you know, I, I, I didn't see any of these type of things growing up and uh, he just he yeah. just was there to educate me on the fact that, you know, you're going to have a lot of pressures, you're going to have a lot of decisions, you're going to have a lot of
0: uh, ups and downs,
2: you're going to be missing family, friends, all these type of things that's going to happen with being in Pro Bowl and being away. And uh, I just think that I had him, I had Mark McElmore, who is mm-hmm. my mentor. Yeah. Uh, I still talk to him. Uh, I talk, actually, I talked to him the day I was drafted because another great story of that is my, uh, that was my third period, third period in lunch, fourth period after lunch was my government was on an English class. And my English teacher, Ms. Oyashiku had Mark McElmore as a student 20 years prior. And Mclemore's from the same area that I'm from.
0: I think yeah, it's so very, she that's called very him funny.
2: during cl- random as hell. She called him yeah. during class. and was like, yeah, I got a kid that just got drafted because she kept in contact with him too. And she's like, I got a kid that just got drafted. And can you talk to him? And this is June 3rd. So he's in the middle of the season also, but it's, mm. um, it's one o'clock. So it's, I guess it's before he's at going to the ballpark or just got to the ballpark. And we talked, and we ended up meeting a, a week later when I went out to the All American game out in New York, and he took me to dinner to uh, Hill Vagabanda. I'll never forget that restaurant; it was amazing. And this big league place, he's dressed in cat- slacks and yeah. big league attire. I'm sitting there looking in rockaway or Karl Kanai, look like a jackass. But that's I mean, that's all I had at the time. And you know, it's just like I, I got the. I was I was fortunate because I was able to get big league advice being a high school student when most people have to just grind it out. They don't have the wait, access they have to, to wait. certain big leagues, Yeah, they don't have access to a certain big leagues. So that's why I think I use social media in that regard to, to reach out or to have these young kids reach out to me. I keep an open book that like, you know, Athletes are like you can re- you can reach out to me. You can ask me questions. You can ask me questions about the minor league. Like I think that that's the beautiful man. part about social media and the athlete's perspectives is to be able to help these young dudes adapt and understand. Like this is these are things that you're going to face. I don't care if you're a first round pick. I don't care if you got four or five million dollars as a first round pick. I don't care about that. You're still going to face this uh, a lot of emotions of mm. other guys. I mean, of of, of everybody. You're going to face these emotions because you are going to go, like, especially college guys, you're going from top tier programs. And then you're about to go to A-ball. I don't give a damn how much money you got. You're about to go from this great facility to ass, as, as my background says. Ass. You're, you're going to go to some, some terrible facilities. And, that, and I know they've, they've tried to improve them over the years, but it just is what it is. You know, you're sitting in A-ball. A ball is not going to be like triple it's not going to be like the big it's just it's right. not it's just not because the investment is not there and you know uh, i had guys that, that i had two great guys that was able to explain it to me and lead me along the way and macklemore especially you know on a day-to-day basis tg was obviously fast or busy but tony Gwynn, i mean but uh macklemore on a day-to-day basis and i and, and i know i annoyed him i know i bothered him i know i uh uh, I just, I, I know I, I, I would text him, call him every day. Like what's this, this, and he would, he'd answer every time. Like, it's just, it's part of the process, it's part of the process. Keep your head up, keep grinding, keep, keep pushing forward. And, you know, he was able to help me through my minor league journey. And, you know, I think that a, a lot of reasons of my success now is due to him and TG because of the poise that they in, implemented in me to, not be satisfied to be mm. to be hungry every single day to be like hey you're gonna have to work if you want to make it to the big leagues they just they're not gonna just give it to you i don't care if you're a first round pick they're not just gonna say here's the major leagues they give you a million dollars they give you two million five million they're not gonna say here's the major leagues they're gonna say hey we put money into you uh work your ass off and uh make us look good because you're not gonna talk to the people that drafted you until you make it to the major league
1: you know what the, the story that you just said, it, it really is so interesting because there's a lot of guys that get drafted the first round like yourself or, you know, whatever, that the ego is there when they're a minor leaguer and they're not humbled and it takes a little while for that to process. But you had Tony Gwen and, and, and Mark to, to kind of tell you, look, you're great. Let's not get it twisted. You're very good. Clearly, the Mariners like you that much, but get ready for the hard part, and you need to play the way the baseball gods are telling you. Because the baseball gods are, for people at home, the baseball gods are powerful, man. And and Adam, you know just as much as anybody else. The baseball gods do not want; they don't want you to mess with them. You don't want; they won't mess with you. But you got to be humble, and the ego needs to be put down and recognize that this is a long process and that process started for you as a pro player in 2006 as a mariner i want to hear a story with ichiro ichiro is one of the greatest hitters of all time i'm sure like freaking like yo know, you have tony gwin as, as a as, in high school as a guy you are you you looked up to and you got advice from him. and then you go to the bigs mm-hmm. and you have ichiro telling you some some pointers here and there I remember watching him hit, like, home yeah. runs out of, like, BP, and he'll aim it wherever he wants. And he wasn't even a home run hitter, which is, even, is insane. So I want to hear a story. You've right. you a short time in, in, in Seattle, but I want to hear a story between you and Ichiro.
2: So Ichiro is, obviously, you know, like you said, it's one of the greatest hitters of all time, no matter if you you know inc- incorporate the Japanese or uh, the Major League Baseball service time. But he was, you're talking about a superstar. You're talking about like, obviously, Otani right now is garnered the superstardom. Ichiro, bigger. Bigger. Really? You think Otani? So? I mean, bigger. There was no social media. There was no, there was no Twitter. There was no Twitter back in 2001 when Ichiro first came. I mean, so t- Twitter, Instagram, all this crap, all that stuff started about 2007. I mean, Facebook opened, Facebook opened itself in 2007 to people that didn't have college accounts. You know, as it right. because, like, I mean, they started to build their brand. Uh, I mean, Ichiro was a, just, I mean, just a god. And I remember the first time I got to the big leagues and we were in Toronto, and he just, like, hey, don't run into me. The first thing he said, he said, hey, <laughs> no congratulations. He said, hey, don't run into me. Stay out of my way. I mean, and I mean, me, I'm just, I'm 6'2. That time I'm 20 years old, six two one, maybe 200 pounds, and he's like, hey, don't run into me. And he's five eight, five nine, whatever he's listed at, 165 pounds, soaking wet. He's like, hey, don't <laughs> run into me, don't run into me. And it's underrated that Ichiro's English is actually damn good, like perfect. And he's a big Snoop Dogg fan, by the way. Uh, That's so. But he's like, yeah, he's like, I love Snoop Dogg, and he's like, yeah, hey, just don't run into me. So. Uh, I remember a ball going to right center, and it's like maybe my – it's the first game, but it's like later in the game. And I'm looking at him. I'm running, and I'm looking at him, though. And I see the ball. I just keep looking at him, and and I hear him call, it, I just like peel out like total just 90 90 degrees straight away from him because I didn't want to be anywhere near him because if you hit each row, you're going to the minor leagues. Oh, you're done. And on the way to the minor leagues, you can get your ass kicked. Like you don't hit minor – you don't hit each row. And I just and he was like after after the play, I looked at him, he's like just like nodded at me. Like, okay. And it's like right, I see you, you listen. I just got like I got that vibe of like you listen, don't just stay away from me. And obviously watching him and knowing that you know, I got to have a couple of spring trainings with him. Um, and just knowing that like the guy covered in just crazy ground, you know, I mean, just obviously one of the best right fielders to ever played a game ever in the history of the game. And he just was just like, obviously he was reserved because, you know, at the time, you know, the, you know, just the cultural differences and all that, but he was reserved and, but he just minded his own business. He had a very sense, very great sense of style still does, and just just did his own thing. I, and I remember one time uh, he took me to dinner with him and Jojima and, and just to a Japanese restaurant. And I'm just like, like, I never had Japanese food at this time. I'm like, what the hell are they serving here? And then I ate it, and I'm like, can I get more of this? Like, <laughs> can 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 you guys give me, like, triple of this stuff? Like, I need more of this stuff because it was just phenomenal. And, you know, just being able like, – in just being able to be around those guys at such a young age, and I don't know how many teams do it nowadays, but the Mariners always brought their first round, first and second rounders they always brought them to major league camp to be around because you invested all this money in them. So they wanted right. them to be around the major league guys, the guys that uh, this is the, this is what you can, this is what you can be. We invest. This I think money. That, is
1: so this, is can be. that is so smart. That is so smart. Right. You're, you're teasing them Say, look, we got you. We got you now because we can see you could be here one day. And mm-hmm. then, you know, it's like, you, you see, the the atmosphere you see the, the uh, you know the camaraderie to the clubhouse you see all the gear like this all can be yours if you work your ass off and you and you'll be here you'll be the starting lineup you'll be uh, an impact player right. but for you you were traded and to the orioles yeah this has to be one of the more shocking things of your career you're it's i would say You're like, I would say definitely you're shocked. But at the same time, I feel like you were probably furious because you thought you were going to be the next Tony Gwynn, be a guy who plays with one team his entire career. So take me through the story about getting traded to the Orioles for a guy that the Seattle Mariners got did not pan
2: out whatsoever. Well, I mean, Bedard was, I mean, he had two unbelievable – years back to back in uh six and seven led the league in strikeouts both years i mean it was unbelievable those years the trade, i mean when you get traded you go to a different division things happen you I mean i don't I, that's the, the, the trade part is uh, obviously out of your control but i remember i was um you know at the end of the season uh before just like before they told me you're going to venezuela we want you to get More advanced because when I got called up in '07, um, in the two months, like they were like, because Rolly Banyas was struggling, and they were like, "Yeah, we want you. You know, he's struggling. You, I'm just raking in AAA." He's like, "Yeah, come up and play some some left field because Ichiro moved to center field." Signed Jose Guillen. They're like, "Yeah, we want you to you know come up and add a spark." Crazy part is the day I got to them to back up there, August 3rd, 2007, was my last day my last game in the minors was all my birthday, August 1st. My last at bat in the minor league. So was a home run, to rights in field. My, the day I get up there, Raul Banyas for the next two months is arguably the best player in damn baseball. So I got, I did, I got probably 40 at bats. And I'm yes, sitting there man. like they yeah. called me up. I got a pinch hit, pinch run, pit late defense. Like I did all the things like I'm sitting there, but every day I'm like, you know, working my ass off. But I remember the GM was talking was saying, as the offseason approached, he was like, yeah, you know, Jones is untouchable, you know. But then, I again, I called Macklemore, talked to Tony Glenn, and they both said said the same exact thing. He said, hey, it's a business. Ain't nothing untouchable, okay? So, go out and just, hey, continue to do what you're doing. You, you never know where you can be. Every single day, you're playing for all 30 teams. You're not playing for your team. You're playing for all 30 teams, especially when you go to Winter ball. So, I get down to Winter ball. We're playing good, and then I remember – Uh, uh, we're, we're just finished game three of the finals where I went to Barquisimeto, the Cardinals de Lara, and we're facing the Tigres de Aragua, which was Miguel Cabrera's team.
0: Mm. And we
2: just won a game three. We just won game three. We're up two to one. This this is uh, this is uh, uh, January of 2008. And we just won three to one game three. We're up two to one in the series. Right after the game, the GM comes to me and says, "You can't play anymore." And I look at him like, "What? What are you talking about?" I say, "Yeah, you, the Orioles and the Mariners are trying to work out a trade for you, and the GM from the Mariners and the Orioles both called and said you can't play anymore. Oh, geez. And because we, and I'm and because it's, it's but also it's January, and mm-hmm. you know spring training is you know from that time four, four to six weeks. Yeah, yeah. so I'm like. Well, this sucks because I mean I'm with my team. I'm with my guys. We're grinding. You know, we're we're, we're two wins away from the championship, and they said you can't play anymore. You got to go. Uh, you just can't play. So I was like, well, at least can I stay for the finals and stay here? We end up losing the damn series four to four games. You were in two. the lineup. I'm not saying that. I was in. Line, I'm not saying that I was the impact of it. I'm just right. saying that I was with my guys during that time, right. and that part sucked because you know, we, we, we played with these guys for like 60 games and then, damn, I can't play with you guys anymore. So they were, I mean, just, again, it was the business side of it. And again, I talked to Gwen, I talked to Mclemore about these, just all these situations. And it was just, you know, he's like, this is the business side of it. And, and then I'm getting, I ended up getting traded to Baltimore February 8th and, you know, I, had, I went from being comfortable from being from San Diego to, you know, spring trainings in Arizona to I got to go to Fort Lauderdale. I didn't know Fort Lauderdale at the time. I, I, I went to Fort Lauderdale one time before that was for the uh, the Super Bowl with the Colts and the Bears. Mm-hmm. So I was in Miami for a area one time in my life. And then I was, you know, brand new guy, 22 years old, going to a brand new organization. The, the hardest part about being in a new organization is not knowing anybody. Like literally had to know every coach, Absolutely. every new coach, every new this, you know, I knew some of the players just right. by playing against them in a fall league, you know, obviously reading up on them in, in the baseball America magazines, which at that time was how you found out who was who, you know, they had all the stats and all that kind of stuff. And I was a big reader into the baseball America magazine. And, you know, it just, but everything was brand new. I had to learn everything. And I embraced it. But I think the biggest, there's two big parts of it. The second day of spring training, the manager told me, he said, hey, this is your job to lose. Go have fun. Once he told me that, my ass cheeks, (laughs) 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 I I was able to. I was able to just like,
1: Just release and relax, okay. man.
0: That's okay. it.
2: Okay, thank you.
0: That's thank funny. You. I
2: came over to a new organization. I didn't know what to expect, you know. I, I, I didn't know any of these guys. And then the second was uh, Markakis took me under his wing. He just was like, hey, man, I know you're the new guy here. We played. We, I played with him in the fall league, and he was like, hey, just relax, man. Have some fun. Um, our team's not that good, but yeah. you're going to get a chance to play. Right. Go have some fun. And yeah, they were bad when I got there. And he said, just have some fun and just you know, do what you can do to, to, to make us better. And those two things just helped me relax and just go out and play the game with no pressure on my on my on my tail. Like the manager said, I'm starting every day in center field. So basically the, the things I had to worry about was staying healthy and staying Producing. smart away from the game. Yeah. Exactly. And now was there um you know, I know that.
1: Sorry, go ahead. My bad. My bad. My bad. What was what was that?
2: I'd say I know they had some they had some veterans at the time, but right. for Center Field that there was really nobody there. And he just said, hey, run with it. Go have fun. Be be you. Mm. And that was easy to do. I went out there and just obviously did what I did and played, played my ass off. So just, but I played hard. I played smart. And you know, I just I, I, I was fortunate enough to have good health. Obviously you got a lot of guys in the game that are very talented in all across sports, but health is that sixth tool in baseball that people don't mention and knock on wood. I was able to, to stay healthy.
1: Being that the Orioles were not a contending team, they were not great. uh, You came into a situation where center field was open. Mm -hmm. Are you, Looking back on it, do you think it was the best move for you because you're 22 years old, you're getting a shot, and the team is horrible, so there's not the crazy amount of expectations? So were you a little bit like, like you said, you were more relaxed, but the whole expectation thing of, of contending was not in the future at the time. Was that a, a big sigh of relief for you because you can kind of settle into yourself and not be under so much pressure, like or, like a Jared Kelnick, who's a guy in Seattle who's struggled and there's a lot of pressure to Seattle trying to make the playoffs, so I kind of look at like those like that way
2: right, and that's a great point you know if you're young and you're entering you know a, a, a playoff race like you know he came in in in, in early may mid early May and you know, second game, going to hit a home run, extra base hits, and then went into a spell of just of struggling, which is not uncommon because Major League Baseball pitching is extremely, extremely hard to hit. I don't care if you're facing the Marlins or you're facing the Orioles now or if you're facing the, the Angels or the Rangers. You can face any team that's bad, the Pirates. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Hitting Major League pitching is hard it doesn't matter it 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 just is what it is it's hard and you know I, I can i can understand his pressure of well you're the second uh you know overall prospect in the in the whole entire system behind uh behind Wander Franco so the the you know especially entering a race and Seattle has not been the a playoff team since 01 so it's like Oh man, the pressure, like, all the national news. And the same had to go with Wanda Franco. But with Wanda Franco, it's a different culture down there in Tampa. So just it's a completely different culture, right. Because they play- they've been in the playoffs 10, 10 times over the last 15 years. So it's like, hey, there's not much, there's pressure, but there's not much pressure. We have a good team, we have a good you know we have good aura. like just come and do what you do opposed to hey, we need this bat to be big because we're trying to get to the playoffs for the first time in 20 years. You know what I mean? So there's, there's, there's just a lot of pressure. And I think that, you know, his first go around, he might've put pressure on himself at the same time. He's still 21 years old. He's 21. So, you know, to put, there's a lot of pressures on him. So I, I completely understand that he wanted to, you know, hit a hit the pitch outside of the stadium and, you know, it's, it's just part of you know, it's, it's part of being a human, and it's part of playing sports. And I think with myself, I was just like, you know, I get to go over to Baltimore. There's no pressure on me. There's zero pressure. There was no expectations in 08 for the Orioles to win more than 70 games, okay? If we won 75 games, what a great year. If we finished 500, terrific. So right. I went over there, and obviously the Yankees were still the formidable force, the Red Sox, uh, and the Blue Jays were still kind of good. And, you know, the Rays, that was the year of the Rays, the 08, when they actually just started to went beat to the, the hell Series. out of everybody.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, they went to the damn World Series in 08. And then, obviously, you got Holiday up in, in Burnett up in, uh, in Toronto, just dealing. But they won those two games and then get the ass kicked out on for the next three. <laughs> but it just, right. it, it's like, I didn't, I didn't have the pressure of a lot of these guys. You know, I look at myself as like, like how Brian Reynolds of Pittsburgh is. There's no pressure on Brian Reynolds. There's no pressure on Adam Frazier.
0: Hmm.
2: There was no, Adam Frazier has never played, has not, you know, and I think he's a great player, but he hadn't, he never had to play in any pressure game in his entire career until he got to San Diego. And as soon as you get to San Diego, it's like, hey, look, we got a base of Dodgers, Giants. They've been kicking our asses for the last years. Like, look, man, we're trying to make a playoff hunt. you got Tatis, right. Machado, Hosmer. you got Darvish. you got all these really good starters. And you, But but the pressure. And it's a different atmosphere, playing in front of 12, 15,000, playing in front of 40,000. Big, big, big change in atmosphere. And, right. I think my early years taught me to like be thick-skinned and like just they look at no matter who's in the stands, go out and play as hard as you can. And our first few years in Baltimore, I mean, we're playing in front of again eight to fifteen thousand. Okay, Only the, our biggest games were opening day, uh, a monument uh, reveal, Fourth uh, of July. Besides that, there wasn't many people out there. So Yankees come to town, maybe. Yankees come to town, it'd be 30,000, but it'd be again 20, 22,000 of their fans. Right. You know, they used to call it Fenway South. And, you know, it's just so, it, it grew me to be like, look, it, no matter who comes and plays, you play as hard as you can every single day. And then when our fans started to come, we, because our team started to be more successful, it's like, oh, this it's easy to play hard now. I mean, it's, it's easy to play hard. Yeah. I don't have to, I, I didn't have to rent myself up to play hard in front of a bigger crowd because I was playing hard. If there was one person in the stands, I was playing hard. Hmm. So it, it didn't, I didn't really have to do that. And I think a lot of these young dudes, I mean, just the pressures of these guys, there's so, so, so many more pressures of it. And again, you you bring in social media of it and you can bring in guys who are, who are, you know, sit on their couch, scratching their nuts and say, this guy sucks. When the guy is twelve years younger than you, and is trying to live out his dream, and then ends up reading this comment, and it's like, well, you know, that's damn. Do I really suck? No, you don't suck. The game is hard, and I think that's where my role is in the last few years. Of I know I still talk to a lot of major, a lot of the younger major league players right now, and just like, looking, man, hey, you going through something? It's okay. You ain't the first person to struggle in the major leagues. Like I get it. And it's like, not everybody's going to be Trout. Not everybody's going to be Acuna, Soto, Vlad Jr. These are guys that just, as soon as they come in, studs. Not everybody's going to be that. Because, you know, the most rookie of the years don't end up having the greatest careers. Because the next year, they figure their asses out. Right. And watching the game tonight, you see Cody Bellinger, MVP in 2019. The last two years have not been the greatest. This year, he was atrocious. Very bad. But he had... But he had a massive hit today, tonight, to put them in the next round. That just means that he has guys around him that are like, "Hey, pull in for him." Guys, the guys around him are positive. There's a supporting cast
1: around him to help him out. Which is what you. It's so easy to be negative
2: in baseball. Right. I I, had a great surrounding cast, and it's so easy to be negative.
1: Yeah, it's very easy to be negative, but when when you have guys like. Mark is, and look your 2013-2014 season that you played in Baltimore, you guys were insane. I mean, you had Chris Davis yep. mashing 50 home runs a year. You had JJ Hardy, you had Nick Mark is, you had yourself, you had vets, but you also had guys that were producing every single day. When you were around that yep. Mariner team, that wasn't that wasn't fantastic. And then your, your first few years in Baltimore really wasn't great either to see the fan base rally behind you guys in 13 and 14, when you guys were competing for, you know, going to the world series, you guys were that good. How did that feel to you? Yes. As you're, like yourself, you're an, you, you, during those years, you were an MVP candidate. You were hitting 30 home runs a year, driving hundred in. You were destroying the Yankees, which is, uh, I'm sure you take a lot of pride in that. Um, but
0: 100%. taking through
1: those times in 2013, 2014, being such a stud, and kind of turning that organization around after years of drought.
2: I just think that we like we 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 the young guys grew up together. And you know, you see that with with certain franchises where the young guys get to grow. Mm-hmm. And when you see that they get to grow together, like they become good. Obviously, you know, with I'm trying to think of like the Astros, I think is the best example of it. Yeah, I know, I know Stringer, Springer left um, this year or last year to via free agency. But if you look at their core, you got Bregman, Altuve, Gurriel, Correa, and obviously with Springer in the past, like McCullers, they grew up together. Right. Like they got to play together. Then now you add Tucker. Then you got the center fielder. Uh, Myers. You yeah. got McCormick. Myers, who just hurt himself, but – Damn good player. Then you add a veteran of of Morton back in, you know, obviously a couple years ago, add Morton, add yeah. um, Presley. And obviously, I think the biggest and most important piece was add Verlander, who is uh, first battle Hall of Famer, let's be honest oh, with you. Yeah. So, and you add his expertise, his knowledge, his cojones. Most importantly, you know, he brought cojones. Like, we don't give a a rotten ass damn about anybody. Let's go out and win. Um, Like, and and then you add just the professionalism of of Brantley. And then, you know, with coming up with Alvarez and the view of a trade, like, that's how we were. Obviously, not to that extent. We didn't have the access of the payroll that the Astros have, um, but we had the access of the knowledge. We added, I'll never forget when we, in 2011, we added uh, Vladdy. Uh, Vladdy Sr. and um, Kevin Gregg, Kevin Millwood, and uh, Derek Lee. And obviously, two of them. Some old, old, rotten vets, you know, just some old bastards. But those guys around the young guys taught us how to just, just, first off, again, be professionals, take it all in stride. Take a five-game winning streak the way you take a five-game losing streak. It's part of the game. Show up every day, play the game hard, play it smart, grind it out. And I think it. I think having those guys taught us how to start winning, opposed to just start like not to lose, but to start winning. And that's the biggest thing in sports is some people, and it's life. Some people are so afraid of losing that they don't know how to win. Like losing this part of life, no matter what field you are, you're going to get rejections. You're going to get no's. You're just going to get no's. As a kid, I sold candy. I would have 20 pieces, 20 things of candies of candy in my box. I went to, I don't even know how many houses to sell, to sell 20 things of candy. You're going to have to hear a boatload of no's. So I heard no's as a young kid, you're going to get no's. You're going to get booze. You're going to get the negative side of it. But if you show up every day and continue to grind it out, you're going to be successful in the long run. Don't be afraid of a no. A no just means, okay, that person, that person, particular person is not interested in this, but the next person. And that's the same with sports. Just because you have a bad at bat, that at bat, you got another chance. Don't be afraid to okay, you 0 for 3 with three strikeouts. Yeah, that stinks. Yeah, (laughs) everybody on the board, everybody in the stadium, People at home watching. People at home watching. They see it. They see the bottom line: three strikeouts. Your ass is terrible. But the fourth at bat, what if you hit a walk off home run? Don't no one give a damn about Joe? Three strikeouts. You hit a walk on front. So it's like each at bat is an opportunity. Each inning, each day, each pitch is an opportunity to change that. Change whatever narrative is going on. And if you're afraid to to fail, no, yeah. If you're afraid to fail you won't succeed because I oh, oh, just, I don't want to get it wrong. I get it wrong. You play baseball. Baseball. is all about failure. If you can handle failure in baseball, you handle anything. That's why I think that baseball players are some of the mentally, most mentally tough people in life because you handle like to, to be a hall of famer, you have to fail 70% of the time. There's no job on earth yeah. that you can fail that you can fail 70% of the time. And if you can name one, I'll go do it.
1: Yeah, please. If you, anybody else listening or want to comment here, <laughs> you let us know because guess what? I will jump on it. I will stop and do what I'm doing. You know, um, when you talk about 100%. learning, learning and you learned a lot from a lot of vets during your career and during your, your Orioles career and you learned a lot of life lessons. One game in particular that stands out for me it is April 29th, 2015. You're playing the White Sox at home. It is a crowdless game. Not one person in the stands. Um, it's because of on April 12th, 2015, Baltimore police arrested Freddie Gray, and Freddie Gray then ended up losing his life due to a, a spinal cord injury because of uh, other complications. But I, I would love to hear your your side of the story, you were, you were playing in a game where nobody was in the crowd. And it, it's for me, when I was watching it, the sound off the bat was so freaking loud. It, it was just so eerie, you know, you have, you know, Gary yeah. Thorne is kind of pl- calling the game in the, in the broadcast booth. Like it was like a uh, uh, guys playing golf, really quiet. You know, it was super weird and eerie. Uh, tell me what you were feeling during this, this game. You guys ended up winning 8-2, to two, but the win doesn't really matter. It's more of what was going on outside the right. stadium
2: and what was going inside the stadium with you guys. Right. Um, I mean, that that whole situation was just the, the Freddie Gray murder. And, and it's a murder. I don't care how you want to cookie cut it. Like, you know, and I, and I get, uh, and my father-in-law talked to me all the time about it he said, you know, about the rough rides. And I get that, you know, I completely get that. You commit a, just this massive crime and, you know, the, the cops ain't going to just take you in and, and offer you, uh, offer you cupcakes and ice cream, especially if you black, I don't care where you, you can spin that however you want to spin it. It just reality is, is reality. And, um, you know, it was a tough time for Baltimore. And obviously, people that know Baltimore is 65% black, especially inner city. Okay. It's it's a it's a black city. And that at that time, you know, being one of the only black players on the team, like play like my teammates like looked at me like, you know, you have to say something. You know you have to address this. And uh, me, uh, me being from San Diego, such a multi, multicultural background. Like I didn't just grow up with, like, I grew up with Blacks, Mexicans, Whites, uh, Filipinos. Like I grew up around a plethora of people. So I'm like, I really don't understand, you know, all, the, all of this that's going on. So, you know, I reached out to my brother. I reached out to my friends uh, about just like my, my close circle about like really like what is going on. I re- and obviously my father-in-law he wasn't my father at the time, but he's from Baltimore, and he understood the history of Baltimore, and I'm just like, like, explain this to me, you know, explain me what's going on, because I didn't understand, I didn't, like, I didn't understand it, and I spoke up about it, because I knew that there was hurt in the city, and I wasn't afraid to speak about the hurt and about the the violence that happens, you know, in in the inner cities, and I, again, I grew up in inner cities. I, I have friends that have lost their lives to to violence, um, I and, and people that are locked up to, for the rest of their lives to violence. That's that you get locked up for life. That's another murder, in my, in my book. And you know I had to speak up on it because, like, it hurt my soul to not. And I knew that other people would look up to me and be like, "Oh, why are you so silent about it?" And it's not about being silent. It's just I had to understand everything about it and. Now in today's society, we all speak up as soon as we see a clip, we speak about it. The second we see a clip and offer an experience. And it it could be a a minute clip of something. Obviously, if anybody's ever been pulled over by the cops, it don't happen in 60 seconds. That's Twitter, Instagram, 60 seconds. Nothing happens in 60 seconds. Okay. We're talking about 20, 30 minute confrontation, show the entire thing before you offer any sort of uh, opinions towards things. And you know, I just I, again that situation. I had to speak up on it, and for a city like Baltimore, uh, as being as African American as it is, and you know, African descent, there's a lot of people from, uh, you know, from Africa in in that in that community. I I just I just had to speak up, and I couldn't say quiet, and it hurt my heart because, like, I get it. You can say what you want about Freddie Gray's. Uh, criminal past. I get it. You know, was not uh, uh, what we call, we say, a model citizen. Did not follow every protocol. Did not do every single thing by the book. I get that. I, I completely understand uh, I Understand that. There's so many people out there that, do, that don't. There's also so many people that get the proper treatment and get due process. He didn't get his due process. So that's the part that hurt the most. But speaking on that, you know, a lot. I got, I got so much backlash from that. So many people, oh, he's a criminal. He did this and did that. And I and I, I get that. Again, was he the was was he the guy that's gonna come mow the old lady's lawn? You know, help the old lady get her. I don't I don't know. But did he deserve what he deserved? The answer is no. And anybody that think thought differently got a middle finger from me. Right. Okay. He doesn't deserve that. Now, does he deserve to get due process or if, if he was to get jail time for that? OK, that's the, that's the judicial system. Is the judicial system correct? No, my wife's a lawyer and my father-in-law is a lawyer, too. So uh, I, I got the judicial understanding and they both looked at me like this is shit. So <laughs> I, I get that. Um, but then, you know, obviously moving moving past that, because that there's, I mean, you can talk about that forever. But uh, playing that game, um, it, it brought back so many memories by being here in Japan last, but last year when I first got here because right. we had no damn fans. And I'm just sitting there looking around like, this is eerie. Now, I was 27 at the time and I was 35 at the time here. And I'm just like, this is eerie and some bullshit because – what's going on? Obviously we had the COVID thing has you know, incapacitated a lot of the world and, you know, still here, they have so many rules still, the stadiums are still not full capacity, but playing with no fans was like you said, use the word that I've used so many times eerie. Mm. It was like a graveyard. Like you show, you looked out, there was nobody, only people that, it was people outside the stadium because we can see the gates, but in, out, in, the, in our outfield, the gates were so far back to where like, you can hear people, but you can't, you can't really hear them because it's so far. And, and Utah Street that runs along right field was closed, but on left field, way back. I'm sorry, we're talking like one of these 650 foot home runs. Right. Is where, where where our monument park was that had our that had the, uh, the the statues and they had but they had a gate out there and fans were there there there's a hotel the Hilton you had a, you had a lot of people in the hotel rooms like looking out you know you can see them but you can't hear them and it just it again it was just eerie but one but if I could take one great thing away from that game. It was that the game was two hours and six minutes. Wow, really quick! And obviously, it's been it's been it's been a it's been the subject of of so much controversy of gameplay mm-hmm. time. The game was two hours and six minutes. We scored five off some margin in the first, and the game just went. It was so quick, and you know, again, it was eerie. Uh, the circumstances sucked,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and you know, it just was. It just was. It was weird, but another good <laughs> another funny part of this story <laughs> that just that whole time <laughs> was so I'm leaving the ballpark. We got obviously we had our game canceled, that'll be I didn't make it. And one of the, the uh people outside, like I'm walking, you know, underneath the tunnel to my to my car to go to my car. And one of the but older uh just one of the workers there, white guy he was like, Hey, hey, be careful out there. And I looked at him, and I looked around like, you know, like that, who, me? I looked, you know, because a black man was killed. So I'm like, who, who are you talking to, me? And he's like, yeah, be careful out there, man. It's, it's crazy out there. And I said, uh, they don't want me. They want your ass. Don't, don't. don't. <laughs> yeah, they want, right. <laughs> they right, the riots me? are going you know on.
1: Stuff? Yeah, right. The crazy the, riots. The, I, I, the riots right. is
2: going outside? Yeah uh yeah they don't want me trust me they don't want me they want your ass and as soon as I drove out and I, I was driving out and, and on the um the street right outside of Camden I seen like four or five and probably more of that but uh four or five cars getting like at the light like kids men just like opening car doors with people in them like get out this damn car like it was like mayhem. I rolled my window down, and I just looked at the kid, and he, he just looked at me, and just walked past me and went to the next one. But I, but as he walked past and walked past me, I screamed at him, "Hey, this ain't what it is. You do not need to do this kind of stuff." I wrote him and driving on the street. Like I, I was driving so slow. I was like just screaming at these kids. This is these are things that you don't want to do. That's not helping. You. Right. And, the, and again, with that, the worst part of it is, you know, the news showed the absolute worst of it. They tried to say that the city was burning down. The, you had the uh, National Guard in town. Had, you know, you spend all this money on the National Guard. Like, if the National Guard is deployed, they need to be working all around the clock at the National Guard. I remember showing to the ball, showing up to the ballpark the very next day, and there was probably, you know, 15,000 National Guard hummers tongue. Hum- these guys are sleeping underneath their damn vehicles. That's not the use of our tax money. Be honest with ourselves. And I get that you know things were bad. I get it. The news exploited the con- exploited made and created way more controversy than needed than needed to be. And but again, that's you know everybody. Everybody has an agenda. Everybody has a uh, quota. And it, but overall, it was just a it was just a bad time, man. It was a bad time, and and, and but I I I think I'm 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 proud, most proud of myself for not being afraid to speak up in a moment of of of, uh, of pain for a lot of people right. because there's a lot of it goes on now, as you see it with the George Floyd thing last year, and a lot of people spoke up for that, but there's a lot of things that happen in inner cities, in big cities, all over that people just turn a blind eye to, and you know, uh, uh, my mom, mayor of Seoul, rest in peace, my grandma, they would kick my ass if I didn't send them for these type of things.
1: Yeah, because you have, you personally have a, a massive voice being a Baltimore Oriole, where, like you said, I, I forgot what the percentage you said, but it's a high percentage of you know African Americans that are living in Baltimore. And you are a model mm-hmm. citizen, you are a superstar athlete. And if you can talk, you should. And you're seeing that more often. And for you, you joined the player alliance with guys like, you know, Sabathia, Edward Jackson. I would love for you to to talk about what the player alliance is for you. And what does that mean when you're a major league baseball player committee guy on that list with, uh, I would say, hundreds of other ballplayers? Talk to me about what the player alliance means to you
2: well the players alliance is 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 a is a group of, of again you know minorities in the game of baseball um, and but but it's not just all minorities you have a lot of, of white guys that are a part of it because they understand the bullshit on the side of the of the sport they understand the inequalities and the passes that others get that don't that others don't get and right. You know, like I said, one of the biggest, you know, one of the biggest contributors is Clayton Kershaw. Like he gets it. You know, you have guys that, and and in the players' alliance when they created, you had guys that were opposed to it, but would room with Latins, room with black players, eat with Latin players, eat with black players, high five us on the field, but deep down they're like, eh. like that's the shit I don't, I can't tolerate, like. Don't eat at a table with me and then shit on me afterwards. Come on. Like, Just don't eat, just don't eat with me at the table then. If that's, it, if that's how you feel, I understand it. If that's how you feel, that's how you feel. Um, but the, the, the alliance is, is just whole mission is to just give everybody quality. And if you know baseball, RBI gets a fraction of what baseball makes. And listen, the Orioles just finished building a $35 million facility. In Dominican Republic, if the Orioles gave thirty-five million dollars to Baltimore inner cities for baseball programs, and it doesn't even have to be baseball—if they gave it for educational, if they gave it for awareness, ed- you know, medical, like just edu- anything—how right. much better could the city of Baltimore be? But it shows that baseball is a business, and it shows that. Uh, Given Dominican and building this place down there, which many teams have, it shows that they're groomed. They want to groom the next player. They want to benefit from the talent pool. And you know, Dominican like I've been Dominican many times. They are all about baseball. That's not about soccer. They're not about football. They're not about baseball. I mean basketball. They're not about any other sport but baseball. So it's like. Okay, look at I'm gonna go down there. You know, there's a lot of kids down there, there's a new generation every year. It's a new generation. We're gonna teach these kids English, literacy, and ultimately we want them to be baseball players. That's what you invest. When you invest 35 million into something, that's what you're gonna do. And all the teams have done it. I can't, I mean, I don't think every single team, but the majority of teams have have facilities in, in Dominican, uh, Venezuela, and obviously they're starting to do. More things in Colombia now because the talent, a lot of a lot of Colombian kids are getting away from soccer and want to play baseball. So it's like, I get that, I I, I completely get it. But at the same time, don't say that RBI has not been uh, not been we ain't produced much from RBI or you give RBI a million dollars and say, oh well, look at this is what we're doing. This is how it, RB. More of a PR stunt. Like, it's like, a, like it's a PR like, stunt, right? 100. Let's be honest with right? ourselves. A million dollars is a boatload of money. A million dollars spread across 30,000 ain't shit. Okay, we all we got we all getting lunchables, the pizza lunchables, <laughs> which was my favorite. Okay, that's what we all getting. So I think that the the Players Alliance is is a group of just just honorable men black white latin obviously majority of black guys that just say look it enough is enough we uh, we see the bullshit behind the politics of the game and people say oh there's no politics why you got politics in baseball oh you must have never played amateurly then if you say what why is politics in baseball you never must you never played high school baseball or travel baseball because if you don't understand politics in baseball you just i get it 100 percent, yeah Hundred percent. There's so many politics in baseball, and you know, it, I just think the Players' Alliance is there to say, "Look, it. We have the resources. We have the we have the manpower. Mm. We have the guys who want to be boots on the ground to say to go and show these young kids of any color. It's not saying, oh, we just want all black kids to be to be in a major league.' No, we just want equal. All all." all Throughout history, throughout the civil rights, all Black people wanted and want is the same opportunity. I don't care what slice of pie you try and slice it in. Black people just want equality and the same opportunity. That's all. That's all. And I've seen, it's playing, you mean, you said, I played 19, this is my 19th year professionally, uh, you know, 17 of them professionals since I was high school. I've seen some of the most egregious things I've ever seen I've seen players get looked over passed over that were vastly better than the ones I got promoted way better younger better and and just and I, and I sit there and question but I never really I expressed myself because you know I was a young pup just trying to do it myself right but I never questioned or asked the questions until I until I was established myself and I'm like hold on why 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 like why is this why and the players alliance is there to be like to answer that question of why and to give hope to give opportunity to young kids again of all races obviously the target is to work inner cities but inner city is just a it's a a term that people tried to coin years ago decades ago to say just black no inner city is black white hispanic filipino asian all, all, all races and denominations. That's what inner city is. Inner city is the people that can't afford every damn thing that the suburbs can, okay? But when you say inner city right now, when you say inner city in America, they just, just say all black. And that's just, that's again, that's dumbing down uh, what, what really is. And again, the Players Alliance is there to give opportunity it's not guaranteeing that, oh yeah, here I'll give you some, I'll give you the opportunity, I'll give you some gloves, bats. This is gonna guarantee you to make it to major leagues. No, guarantee to make it to major leagues. There's no guarantee, but you got to work your ass off.
0: Hmm.
2: You, got to, you got to work your ass off and get and catch some breaks and, and all that, all the above, but it's to give kids a chance, inner city kids a chance. You know, not every right. kid is gonna, and I grew up with some kids once once I started playing travel ball. I grew up with some kids that parents bought them new gloves, new bats, and at the you know what what you know travel ball, these I mean these kids, these bats are three, four hundred dollars a piece. I knew and gloves are three hundred dollars too. Week. Yeah. Exactly. I knew kids that had new stuff every week. Me, I used a spalding glove that my cousin gave to me that had a big ass hole between these two fingers. So that means that I couldn't rattle a ball. I had to catch that thing flush or I'm gonna get hit right in the mouth. You know what I mean?
0: Right. Like, yeah, yeah.
2: I, I didn't have lessons. I had friends that had got hitting lessons at 13, 14, 15. I didn't have no damn hitting lessons. I went out back and threw some rocks up to myself and swung and hit them. You know what I mean? So I just think that the the I mean my involvement with the players' alliance is obviously bring awareness to it, mm-hmm. be a be a, a be a voice. Because, like you said, people listen to me. People listen to the good guys of the game. Um, but it, it, at the same time, we we just want to give kids a chance. I was given that chance by other families to, you know, I couldn't afford these tournaments. Other families was able there to pay for these tournaments. Right. I want in want, the Players' Alliance want to – give these kids an opportunity because once you get an opportunity you can't like you know you run with it i never forget I got the opportunity to play in this tournament one kid missed a tournament because he had some high school uh, obligation and I played shortstop that tournament that he missed he came back and he wasn't at shortstop no more because I was there he was he was the team shortstop for two years he came back and his ass was at second base and his dad was pissed but the coach was like, he the coach was like, and this this kid's better. This
1: kid's better, right? And he's like,
2: and, and the dad was like, well, he does not pay for all this. I'm paying for all this. And the coach was like, I get all that, but the kid's better. And <laughs> you know, that's all we want to. We just want to give the kid these kids opportunity. And if I didn't have the opportunity, I don't know where I'd be. Because mm-hmm. once I got that opportunity, I ran with it. And right. that's not to say that every kid's going to run with it. Because there's plenty of kids that get. Did you look at you know college football basketball baseball whatever there's so many kids that are blessed to get this opportunity and then they mess it off because of various various things right me i got the opportunity and i ran with that son of a bitch like usain bolt okay i didn't turn her i didn't i didn't look and that's all that's the 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 thinking of the players alliance is give inner city kids kids that don't have a voice kids that don't have a a chance, all races, mm. but give the kid that wants it an opportunity to have it.
1: And I think two people that would be very proud of you is your grandmother and your mother, because you talked about how just before, if you didn't say anything, those two people would be on your ass and be bad at you hey, for not saying anything. But now you, you're you actually not only did something during that time in 2015, but now in present day, on the other side of the world, you're still doing it, which I want to congratulate yeah. you on that and that feat, because that's very important. And you take a lot of pride. Thank in that. you. Yeah. And I, I do want to get yes, back to Yeah, I, I want to get back to on your career. I want to talk about a moment as a baseball fan where I think it's one of the coolest moments of baseball history. And it wasn't in a major league season. It was during the World Baseball Classic. You're on the 2017 roster. It is a star-studded team. I'm sure it's the best team you've ever played on. With when it comes to the amount of uh, star-studded athletes and all-stars and MVPs, but you made the play of the decade, in my opinion, in, in baseball, one of the plays of the decades because of the moment. Team USA versus an unbelievable team, the PR, um, the Dominican team, and then you have. You from San Diego playing in San Diego and robbing a home run off of Manny Machado, a guy you were right. friends with for the, you're almost your entire career. My teammate, your freaking teammate, My teammate. Tell me the, the <laughs> moment you are, you are going back to the yeah. center field and look, Petco park for everybody at home has a deep center field. That is deep. That's Big a ball. Yeah he, yeah. he drove that thing. So I want to get a story out of you. And because uh, that is, it's it's unbelievable. And you guys ended up winning the whole thing, beating the Puerto Rico. Yeah.
2: I mean, just like I've I, I downplayed that play so many times just because, you know, when you, when you, like I said, obviously, one four go glove. Uh, so it's like, it's up to the next play. You make a nice play. Okay. The next ball is coming to you. Be ready for next ball. This play was, excuse my French, the shit. (laughs) Okay, it was it was the shit. Like, let's be honest with ourselves. Moment, seventh inning, Dominican Republic. You're talking about a USA was star-studded. The the the, you know the biggest names in the game of baseball, the American side didn't play for Team USA. There was no Trout. There was no Harper, Scherzer, Kershaw. Those guys weren't there. And people were like, oh man, why didn't they? Play? They didn't want to play. They and, and again, it's the the world baseball class is really, really hard to, to play in because to ramp up, we played nine, I played nine games straight of nine innings in March. I've never done that ever. And to ramp your body up to play that many games, that that it just it just doesn't happen just don't do it. And um, the team that we assembled was amazing. You want to talk about the guys who were selfless? I mean, you got Buster Posey, MVP. Arenado, MVP candidate. Brandon Crawford at the time, two-time gold glove runner. Ian Kinsler uh, uh, coming off uh, a World Series appearance. I mean, a couple World Series appearances. He ended up winning in 18. Uh, Hosmer. World Series champ Stanton, the new god of baseball. Kristen Yelich, the new heartthrob of baseball at the time. I mean, this. Then you got the pitchers: you know, strong and Archer, um, and then and then you got um, David Robinson, Tanner right? Roark, yeah, uh, David Robertson. Uh, like, and then the list goes on of guys that. Again, could you have bigger names? Of course, of course you could, one hundred percent. We had a young Alex Bregman. I think Alex Bregman, that was like, I, obviously he was new to, uh, it wasn't he wasn't new to the, the 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 game of baseball at all, but like the major leagues. I think it was his second year. But him being on our team, I think was one of the most selfless things ever because, and he's going from being a starter on the Astros, you no know, second pick overall yeah. to sitting on the bench for us. We have Paul Goldschmidt sitting on our bench. Daniel Murphy sitting on our bench. Are you kidding me? Like, these are guys at that time, I mean, uh, Bregman could have played for Team Israel and could have batted one through nine, uh, played shortstop every single day. Goldschmidt is, you know, still one of the best first baseman's in the game, but Hosmer played over him. Like, you know, there's so many different variables. But the second we walked in, we met each other in Fort Myers. Me and Kinsler just talked to each other because we're older guys on the team. Right. And we talked to each other with Posey also. And we're just like, look, I know we're all stars. we all, we all making a lot of money. I get that. We all get that. You know, you're know, you making this. We're making this. This guy's making that. You know, I get all that. You know how much we're all getting paid for this World Baseball Classic? Nothing. Shun your eagles off. Play the game hard. We had a team meeting. Hey, it's not about you. It's not. Even during the regular season, like when you play playing the race, it's not about you. It's about the team. And guys were so selfless mm. amongst superstars. Amongst guys that the back of their cards had a lot of stamps, had a lot of accolades, everybody's bookshelves at home. Had Gold Gloves, All Star Games, Silver Sluggers. No one cared about any of that. Everyone cared about the about getting that out, that pitch, getting twenty seven outs, and playing the game. And leading up to everything, obviously, we had we faced some tough challenges with Colombia, uh, Puerto Rico, Dominican. You know, we know we ended up losing Dominican, but we ended up beating Canada to get to the next round. Uh, Puerto Rico beat us. But then we beat Venezuela, and then obviously the I think the probably the best game of the entire tournament was Dominican USA in San Diego. You have forty seven thousand people screaming, right. and then you know we score runs, and then the score to two, bottom seven, Machado just you know, and again I played with Machado, I've been with Machado since day one of his major league career. I see him, I just I hear the sound off the bat. And I know that sound from his bat. I'm like, oh, shit. So, I I mean, obviously I hear that sound. I just break. And I'm like, just in my mind, like, oh, shit, he crushed his ball. Keep running. Just keep running. It's San Diego. It's it's cool at night. It's dew, heavy weather, heavy, heavy, heavy air being on being close to the water. Not on the water, but close to it. I'm like, keep running, keep running. And I'm looking at a rant, peek up, look at the ball. I just say, okay, keep running. I gauge the fence. Like, okay, keep just keep going. I'm not there. Look at the ball again. At the ball. And I'm like, okay, keep going. Keep, I see it. I can I, I can gauge it. I keep running. I see the wall again. I say, okay, I got, I said, once I get to this warning track, I got two steps and I have to jump. And as I'm, as I'm approaching it, I see the ball and I didn't even look at the fence again. I just see the ball and I feel the dirt on, on uh, the, 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 the warning track. And I just tell myself after my second step, I say, jump. And I just jump. And as I'm jumping, I looked at the ball the entire time as I'm jumping. And I felt like, again, it happened real quickly, so quickly, but to me, it felt like, like I'm floating. And I just like angels in the outfield, tight floating. Right. Yeah. And I, I jump and I just like see myself. I like see the ball and I see, literally see myself catch the ball. And I'm like, and as I, as I, when, I kept, when I caught it, in my mind, I'm just like said, no effing way, I just caught this ball and like blanked out. The next right. like 20 seconds, I don't remember the next 20 seconds. And so I caught the ball. I, obviously I've seen the replay, but personally I caught the ball and then it's like lights out. And then on the replay, obviously I caught the ball. I say, you know, I'm juiced. Say, so it was up to McCutcheon, Fire the ball back into Kinsler. And then I gained, like I regained consciousness <laughs> um, once, once Kano. Was was getting into the box, and then on the board they show the replay, and I look up and i and I hear. Their, I didn't even, actually. I didn't even. I know that because I've been being in San Diego playing against them. I know they show the replay, but I just hear the crowd just goes crazy a second time because they see the replay, and then that's the time I like like awoke and It's like, hold on, what like really? What did I just do? <laughs> Like, yeah, it's your, what, so, you're you're so shocked.
0: Run. Yeah,
2: yeah. Like, what what did I just do? Um, then you know and but then I'm so tied into the game. Cano hits a home run. The next, the next, he's the next hitter. He hits a home run. And Yelich had a chance to to uh, to take a home run away from from Cano, but he ran into the wall and was unable to jump. And I'm sitting there like, oh, you gotta have that. It's like thinking, it's like you got to have it. Obviously, a tough play. It's a, right, it's also a place he doesn't, he, you know, didn't play often. So mm-hmm. it's a very tough play. And but I'm just sitting there thinking, like, after that, we end up getting the final out. But the whole time, I'm like, I don't what I don't hold on. What did I just do? So we get the third out. I'm running into the dugout and the crowd just goes nuts. And I'm like, hold on. Like really, what did I just do? <laughs> the process of like like what did I really just there's a do? lot
1: more weight to and that catch. I, there's
2: a lot more weight to it
1: than our regular yeah. regular season catch.
2: Yes. It's not it's not just a nice catch in a regular season because there's people that rob home runs all the time. And right. you know, there's great catch. The magnitude of it. You're playing against Team Dominican, which is, you know, star started team. All their stars played. All their right. stars played like not just they're good players. No, every single big star of Dominican Republic was in that on that roster. Right. And I was able, I was able to, once I got into the dugout, I was able to process process a little bit because um, Willie Randolph, our coaches came to me. And was like, bro, do you, what, like, do you know what you just did? And I'm like, I don't, my heart's beating. I'm like, I don't know. I made a nice play. Like, you know, it was nice. He's like, he's like, he's like, you didn't just make a nice play. Do you know what you just did? And then we end up scoring two runs more and like took took the game to where we obviously, we had an a, a even better chance to win the game. Obviously improved our odds. We had, it was up six to three with a, a two run double by McCutcheon. And I'm just like, just the next six outs, I'm just sitting out there processing and like, Like, what did I really just do? Right. Like, really, what did I just do? And then after the game, obviously with the media and all that kind of stuff, and I got to see the catch again. Because I haven't, I didn't go inside and, and watch any replays. I just was on the bench the whole time. And I got to see the catch again. I'm just like, oh, hold on. Are you, I just did that? Like, it, it shocked me, like, damn, like, I just did that. The, the moment, the situation, playing against Dominican, playing, you know, being at home. And I had 20, 30 people in the game that, you know, my friends and family at the game. I'm like, I, I, I really just did that in front of everybody. Like, I showed my ass in front of everybody. And, you know, the next, um, because we had a day off, um, before we played team Japan and the next, like, you know, it like 36 hours was just like, I I might've made one of the greatest catches during, you know, of importance ever. You know, obviously I think Willie made his catch and, you know, the world series over his shoulders, obviously, I think the greatest catch for important situation right. ever. It's a world series, let's be honest with myself. Um, but the catch and that catch ranks up very, very highly in some of the greatest catches or situations.
1: Absolutely, I, say, I mean, I you greatest... you saved the game, you saved the game in the moment, and you guys ended up winning the whole thing after that. The next game,
2: yeah.
1: So yeah, it was. I, say, there's I a think lot the of greatest impact.
2: catch ever was Gary Matthews Jr. Uh, that's my. Oh, I think the greatest I, catch
1: ever. You are. I think. I think I'm, you're correct, man. I mean, the, the 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 spin and everything. I mean, that's. Just, Everything. I mean, the, the I, I mean, mean Mike, that's one of the greatest, Mike, catches, Mike the greatest catch out. in the
2: history of catches.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that's up there with the William Mike Lamb. The, the stores, Mike the Lamb
2: himself. had. yeah, exactly. So I'm just like, wow. And I got to process it, but then obviously we had to, we had two more games. So it was, you know, right. I had to move on. I had to move on and then, you know, get back to spring training. I was able to get back to uh, Sarasota, and then I could really be able to relish in it. And I was just like, "Damn, I really just made like literally one of the greatest catches situationally ever." Yeah, dude. You know, it's it's, just crazy. It's It's just a moment I'll never forget. As a fan, me either. And it's just a credit to again playing hard, bringing it every single day. Is what Macklemore and Tony Gwynn installed in me from a very young age of eighteen to be able to make that catch. The fear, the, like the the not not being fearful of making a mistake. If I missed, what if I what if I never caught it? What if it hit right. off my glove and went over it field? What if like there's a bunch of what ifs? I caught the sun bitch, like you caught like it in San Di- in San Diego, like. At home.
1: You can't have a better, you can't have a better storyline than that.
2: No, I got my family, my friends, my friends, friends, people that know me from San Diego. Like everybody knows I'm from San Diego and I make one of the greatest catches situationally ever. And, you know, and it wasn't, and it wasn't just like Orioles Padres. We're talking team USA. So we're talking, you know, during the regular season, you got individual indiv- individual teams booing and you know going for their individual teams. I had America behind me this time. Right. I didn't just I didn't just have Baltimore's fan base. I had the Dodgers fan base, the Red Sox fan base, Yankees, Orioles, Tampa, San Diego, Anaheim's, Diamondbacks, Mariners. I had everybody's fan base behind me for Team USA. That is where it was more even monumental that it's not just like, Oh, I, you know, I'm getting responses on social media from Baltimore people like, Oh man, great catch I got responses from every, from a, all fan bases across the United States. That was the cool, that part right there was the coolest part I believe because, you know, even though you get, you know, there's fans that appreciate the game of baseball and appreciate the actual talent. You know, oh, I'm a Blue Jays fan or I'm a Mariners fan. But, you know, I appreciate what you did for the Orioles. This was more like, man, I'm a baseball fan. What you just did for Team USA was awesome.
0: That was more of a about
2: the old thing. Yeah. You know, I know you haven't won a World Series. In, in <laughs>
1: your opinion, does this mean more than a World Series? I know some of those guys have won World Series that were on the roster. Did they talk about how it was almost more of an important win than winning a World Series? Because winning World Series is exactly the goal. You know, it's the goal.
2: Yeah. And this is like an Olympics. Yeah, winning World Series. Right.
1: It's tough, I know.
2: (laughs) No. World Series is is the World Series, man. The World Man. I don't think there's anything that can compare it to the World Series. And I never got there. Uh, I've watched it obviously every year well not year yet am not
1: yet not yet never I say you're never in Japan. never say never but you're in Japan I, I do want to talk about yeah. the transition and then I want to talk about yeah. a tweet that you responded to a Bob Nightingale tweet just a couple of days ago and we'll get into that in a yeah. second to re- kind of wrap up but getting over to Japan now you are with the uh, Oryx Buffaloes I mean, you were talking earlier on about a culture change going from the minor leagues to the pros, or getting drafted, go to the minor leagues. I mean, you are in a, a, basically, you might feel like a different planet, right? You're in Japan right. now, playing in a different league. The style of play is a little different. Pitching isn't as great, but the transition period of playing 14 years of professional baseball in the, in the major leagues mm-hmm. to then go to Japan now it's been a couple of years. Uh, the yeah. process must've been wild,
2: man. You got no idea. Yeah. I think my wife is the best one. My wife is the best one to be able to, uh, to navigate this range of emotions that it, it took my first few, my first few weeks out here. Just even, even after I signed and committed, you know, I still thought that like, Oh man, cause I signed and committed in December of uh, nineteen, and I still was like, man, you know, obviously with the late signings going on now in baseball, like I was like, get myself. I told my agent, give me, give me till like mid-January. I know I can get a job somewhere, and I obviously I knew that, you know, obviously me being outspoken in baseball, that you know when you're outspoken in baseball, you're generally not gonna get the best, uh, the best bite of the apple. So. It was like, do you want to play baseball? Do you want, or do you do you want to guarantee, or do you want a, a, a possibility? And you know, me and my wife talked about it, and it was it was mutual. It's like I want to guarantee, like I get that you know uh, I went from, like, it's just reality. I went from seventeen million to three million. No players it's ever went that
1: solid drop off
2: that big ever ever in history no players ever went that big unless they're retired so i was just like if i i mean i can go from there to there um i think i can i like three million is not not too bad it's not you know, it's pretty substantial i mean 17 is here shit. and three millions just, here you know it three million's a shitload of money okay? it is but when you're talking about stream, what you I had before, you know, it, yeah Exactly. So it's like when I went to Arizona, I was like extremely humbled by the opportunity that they wanted to sign me. I didn't sign until March 13th of 2019. I mean, we're talking about two weeks before opening day. So I was just extremely humbled that like somebody even wanted to give me a damn job because how did anybody want to give me a job again? Business, I always, always, always defer to business as being the de facto uh, decision making thing you can think and, you know, have opinions on various things and your own different ideas. But I just said, no, it's just business. It's how it works. It is what it is. But when Oryx came with two year, eight guaranteed, I said, uh, you know what? This is such a great opportunity. I looked at my wife and she lived in Paris as a young kid. The ages of our kids now, seven and five. And she was like, so we're going to Japan. And I was like, well, we're going to Japan because again, she was with me from 2010 all the way through 2009, 19. So she's seen the, the, the progression of my career on, on a major scale. And she's just like, look, do you want to have to do, like, are you willing? Her thing was, are you willing to sit at home and not have a job? And I was like, I'm 34 years old. No. I, I want to play, but I still want to play a gas in the tank. And she was like, well, this is the best opportunity for us, for you. And, you know, we get to live abroad or take our kids abroad. Like let's be honest with ourselves, you know, take, you know, our families get to come and visit us and all that. And then obviously this is all, this talk is obviously pre-COVID. Pre-COVID. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. But her positivity overruled my negativity in it me i'm like screw this i think i can get a job in baseball come on man i had a solid 19 like i think i i think i could get a job and the reality of it was no one's no one wants to sign a a 34 30 going on 35 year old outfielder no one wants to sign that um and unless unless you're willing to take uh nri and maybe a chance to make a million A million. Uh, I I, I have to disagree, though.
0: I have
1: there's a there's a lot of 35 year old players might not be outfielders that are still playing, that aren't great. And and I and I and I wanted to say this. I know you were talking about you. You're in Japan now, and you're having a pretty good time. It's socially different. Sorry, I'm getting a a call here. Sorry, (laughs) I thought my phone on silent here. Whatever. Um, you're different. Uh, career now in Japan, but personally, me man, like I think you got enough in the tank to give a couple more years in the show. I think there's a lot more guys that are playing that, for, quite frankly, shouldn't be playing. And mm-hmm. you look, you're you're. Let's be honest, you're not hitting 35 home runs anymore, and I, and you know that as a as a vet. And I think we talked about ego before. You're you're not. This egotistical guy is like, oh, I can still mash 25, 30 home runs a year, but you know what your game is. But you're still exactly. gonna mash you're gonna you're gonna mash 15 home runs a year. You did it in you did it in Arizona 19. So I find it ridiculous that you're not in the show. And I'm gonna I've been preaching that to my friends, other colleagues. I've been a fan of yours for a while. So it's it doesn't make much sense to me. But I sorry, I had to get that off my chest before we ended this <laughs> the, ended the show here. But you know, playing at Japan, uh, what is it like? facing that type of pitching because I you know what we you might not remember this but early in this year uh you were on a clubhouse room with Lonnie Murray and I was in that yeah. room and yeah uh we I asked you the question about facing pitching in Japan and the correlation and how different it was I would love for you to to talk about that again because everyone knows the pitching isn't as great but you're seeing guys with a lot more movement. It's not speed necessarily, but a lot more junk. Am I, yeah. am I wrong? Or am I right? Oh,
2: oh, 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 Hey, I'm telling you, I think I've seen maybe 75 to 80% off speed since I've been in Japan. It's, 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 I talked to my interpreter who has been around since he's in his 38th year. And he says, American guys aren't getting, fastballs if you give like they will walk you and they won't care if they walk you they will throw you seven eight straight off speed pitches they do not care if they give up a home run to the foreign guys they will go inside and get their ass with a ruler and i'm <laughs> and, and, and i'm like <laughs> as a hitter i'm like i'm not getting off the fastball right. my mentality is i'm not going and they throw me these damn fork balls and i just swing and miss i like, I hate this. There's damn folk, throw me a fastball. They're not throwing me fastballs. But as a hitter, it's just, it, it's, I can't get off the fastball. That's just like, it's something deeply ingrained to me that if I miss a fastball, I'll be pissed. If I miss an off-speed pitch, get tricked. Okay, you fooled me. Foray. But if I miss that heater, I'll be ass. I'll be, my ass will be chapped because oh, I'll be yeah. pissed. And that's just, it's part of the culture here. They, they, they throw a lot of off-speed pitches. They also don't have the shelf life of American pitchers, but I mean, now who has a shelf? There's not many pitchers that have a shelf life anyway of anything. As you see the last four or five years of major league baseball, like guys just, you know, they just are rotated like underwear. And, (laughs) you know, being, being here, like you, it's just a, I think it's it, it humbled the living hell out of me because i'm not in I'm not in major league baseball um there's no chartered flights there's no four seasons saint regi's rich Carltons you don't stay at these hotels you uh you know you, the good thing is a bullet train which is awesome faster fashion hell your coffee won't spill you can keep it right there it will not spill it's awesome as opposed to the Amtrak on the east coast. <laughs> <laughs> you gonna spill you might fall out your damn seat all for, bit, all, all this. Exactly. <laughs> exactly so uh i just think that it's just it, it was it's it's extremely humbling that uh you know the clubhouses are ass on the road i'm talking ass it's like able hey, ass
0: and really? i don't give
2: damn if the mpb is listening hey the clubhouse on the road <laughs> I, s- I send pictures to my friends. I send pictures to my, to my baseball friends. I got a big group text of a lot of former players. And I'm just like, hey, man, I'm doing a five to 10 year bid. I'm sorry. Can y'all send me some <laughs> some letters? You know what I mean? <laughs> some of these road clubhouses are brutal. Is it brutal. That bad? Like, what are, we, what
1: are we talking about? The shoebox? What's up, guys? Quick message for you guys. The interview is not over yet. But I want to relay this quick message. Liking and subscribing to my channel. Liking the videos and subscribing to the channel really helped me out. And it'll help you out too. If you subscribe to this channel, you'll get notified for every new video that's uploaded. And I already have a ton of content that you might not have seen yet. Interviews with Scott Hansen, who's the host of the NFL Red Zone. Craig Carton, one of the most important popular sports radio hosts around the country. I interviewed him last December. I have people like you know, L. Duncan and Ashley Brewer and Michael Eaves that work at ESPN. And I have other athletes as well over the years. Content content content, baby. Subscribe, like the videos, enjoy, and uh, really appreciate it if you guys can do that. So let's get back to the interview with Adam
2: Jones. The road clubhouses are not major league clubhouses. They are, again, I suggest send print pictures to my friends it's a little bit closer to prison than uh, what you would think and assume uh, a professional clubhouse should be. But again, they always say Japanese style. And I just say, okay, I'm in Japan. I'm not in America. I'm not, I can't, my opinion doesn't hold water to you guys. So I get it. But uh, again, it's, it was being here is incredibly humbling because, you know, being on top of the world in major league baseball there's just so many things that just you just like oh wow they like being on just being on top of the world and then you know coming to Japan again it, it's awesome i'm not going to badmouth i can't badmouth and say this is terrible the experience is terrible <laughs> right but playing and playing playing here has been awesome it's an opportunity to play against to first off to live in a different culture to play in cities that I've never been to, to play against players I've never been to, but also see the grind that many players have been through, you know, and, and to understand that a lot of players that I've played with have came over here to Japan and made financial gains, mm. terrific financial gains. I've played with players that came over here and made upwards of 30, 40 million, $30, 40000000 million. Dollars. And I'm like, well, damn, they're offering me more and go back to they offer me, they're offering me more than I even got last year. And again, my agent was like, "Yo, look at just the reality of it is, you know, you can, you you can get NRI, you can, you can maybe wait it out and maybe work yourself to, you know, one, five, one, seven, five, maybe 2 million. If you reach all your damn centers, of of a possible deal or you can go here and get two eight guaranteed and be able to have such a good experience have have such a good uh uh lifestyle with your family see something different or be on your couch and like i said my wife is like do you want to be on your couch be on the couch depressed drinking everything in the damn cabinetry or do you want to have a chance to you know Make, still make great money, and it's a little can different. Little, we yeah, we can go live abroad and do it. And me being a traveling guy, a mentally strong guy, like I don't like change that much, but yeah. I embrace I embrace change within the job because I've had change within the job. I went from the number one prospect with the Mariners to being uh, traded to the Orioles. Spent eleven years there and thrown out, like, jazz on Fresh Prince. Then go to uh, Arizona and be like, you know, it well, is a one-year deal. And, and then, like, you know, I, I had a great time there, actually. Um, and then it's like, you know, obviously they're moving in a different direction, a young organization. Uh, you got a lot of talent. And then it's like, you know, this is an opportunity to just – its it was actually – what it was was it was my first opportunity that many players don't get to be like, I'm gonna do what I want to do.
0: Mm. Most
2: most players don't ever get that chance to do that. Like we see when, like you know, with with like with with, with these veterans doing certain veterans with the I'm gonna retire after the season tour. Most players in all of sports across the board do not get that opportunity. You don't retire. People are like oh, you know, even if you look at guys in the mics you hear all oh, of the guy retires from the minor leagues retire retire means that you get a pension that's for retirement you don't get no damn pension if you retire in the minor leagues you know, got yeah, hit,
1: hit those 10 exactly. years got to hit those 10 years exactly
2: but but even but now with if you know retirement in major league baseball starts with day one but just the opportunity to be like look I've made a good amount of money here I'm grateful I, I worked my ass off for it at the same time so don't act like I didn't earn the shit But I get a I get a chance to do what I want to do, and again, my wife was the biggest support system in that. Like, like let's we don't need Major League Baseball. Let's go, like let's go do whatever you want. Like you know, they 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 screwed you in some ways. Let's go do what you want to do. I applaud you for that, man. Let's go live in a different country. Let's take our boys to live in a different country. I got two young two young boys. That are now, you know, speaking a little bit Japanese. I That's take it great. back to the 90s living of, remember when we used to be able to, we used to have to call people's house phone to ask for somebody, opposed to now these kids texting. They My kids, we live in an apartment building that, that it's set up, and they call people's apartments and say, hey, that my kids are able to, are now learning the proper etiquette of talking to someone through the phone is like, hey, excuse me, sir, how are you doing? Excuse me, ma'am. Can I talk to the uh, you know, your son or your daughter? And can you know, can I come over? Like the proper etiquette of communication, opposed to just like sending a text message, hey yeah, everybody, I'm coming over. That's which is non-verbal communication. My kids are learning the verbal communication and just respectiveness of adults. And you know, I get that I'm not at Major League Baseball. But with that, I got my 10 years.
0: Mm, that's I'm, huge. I, I,
2: I, pro- I probably maxed out the my financial gains in Major League Baseball. I was able to come over to Japan and still make eight million. I don't give a damn how you how you circle it up or you cut it up. That's a lot of money. Yeah. That's going that which is going to my kids, my family, my I got nieces and nephews. That's going to the legacy. It's going to the bigger account that, you know, my nephews and nieces are, the, are going to college. They're going to, like, I don't give a damn. Like, I'm able to, you know, the financial literacy behind it, I'm able to pass on the finances and the financial literacy to be able to pay for college for my nieces and nephews. And I got uh, four of them that are, uh, you yeah, got two 15-year-olds and two 16-year-olds. They, they're going to be driving soon. Uncle Adam, hey man, hey! I have a car? Can I get a new car? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, you get a you get a ninety nine Accord. That's yeah. the hell you getting? Just okay? like the I did. Runs. Damn right. Yeah, exactly. The, bastard, right. the car the car runs. So it's it's yeah. No Tesla you know, for over. you. No, you know? Can I get a BMW? Yeah, my ass. Okay, <laughs> so it's 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 like a even more of an educational thing that. Like, you know, like I said, I say it humbled the hell out of me because, you know, major league baseball is a dream come true. Mm-hmm. Like literally a dream come true. And being able to play it for 14 years, it's a dream like I mean I shit you not, it's a dream come true. You fly charter, you show up to the you don't have to lift the finger. Only time you have to lift the finger is to pick up your bat. Yeah. You show up, everything is organized. Here, I gotta pack my bag. I got to give it to the delivery guy for the truck. I got to get that. I got to get my bag at the hotel, get it, take it to the field, unpack myself. My own not, damn. Plates. Yeah. What I'm
1: taking from this is that uh, for the other young guys that might be watching here, you don't want to take it for granted because what you got mm-hmm. is the, the, the best of the best. But I also applaud that you, you took a chance on yourself and your family to go somewhere completely out of your comfort zone. So I applaud you for that. Mm-hmm. And you're having a lot of success Thank and you're making the bread. So the last thing I want to say is a tweet that was tweeted out by Bob Nightingale, who's a sports reporter, baseball, mm-hmm. covers baseball. He tweeted about uh the there there's a finalized list of guys that are be candidates for the Padres job since uh you know, Jace Tingler's Was relieved of his duties. Now there's a lot of guys available. I think one former guy you know, Buck Showalter's on that list. And you, I don't know if this is for trolling or you're just messing around or this is serious. You just wrote Adam Jones with the eye emojis. Is that something you would (laughs) want to do down the line once your career is done in Japan? You want to be a manager in the show?
2: I mean, I want to. I want to play for the Padres. Honestly, first and foremost, I mean that's my hometown team. I got. I mean, thousands of friends, family, and just just obviously supporters uh, from San Diego that you know have just reached out to me so many times and via social media. Like, oh man, play for the Padres! But at the same time, I understand as an athlete, my career is coming to an end. Do I? like This year could be the last year. Next year could be the last year. But it's it's not like oh, I have a, 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 a you know five six year window. Uh uh-uh. uh my, my my window is not wide open. My window is. Just yeah, my yeah. Just I, I just, I'm getting a, I'm getting that slight cool breeze. When, <laughs> like, okay, it's not. I'm not opening the window full, and I understand yeah. that. But um, I think that when it comes to leadership, I think that my qualities are good. I think when it comes mm, to, I think so. Um, I think when it comes to uh, motivation, I think my qualities are are pure. I think that I can motivate guys. I think I can push guys in the right direction, but at the same time also have the the proper uh, repertoire of being able to relate to new school, old school. And I get it. This new era is analytical. I get it. And, you know, I, I, I got a lot of friends in the game who are playing, retired. And, you know, a lot of them in the media that, you know, obviously understand that the analytical side has taken over. And even with, with we were talking about, some of my friends were talking about tonight with uh, the Dave Roberts thing and, and the Corey Knievel starting. And Robert said that, uh, in which I know him very well. He was one of my AAU, managers, AAU coaches back when he was still playing, when I was 15 years old. So I, we go way back. And he was saying that, you know, he didn't have, a big say in what happens with
0: mm. Knievel
2: starting over, over Urias. And, you know, I'm just sitting there like, you know, I'm reading the comments of Will Middlebrooks is one of my really good friends within the game. Great guy, but understands the game. And obviously being in the situation in Boston, how they were just you know obviously always in it during those years. It's just like, you know, his comment was, well, okay. Robert's, is going to say this, but Roberts is going to get the brunt of this, no matter what. If they lost that game, Roberts—Roberts's decision and Roberts's decision. No one, no one knows the guy. He said, "No one knows the guy sitting on a MacBook." Right. Okay, no one knows that guy sitting on a MacBook. You know, feeling, twirling his thumbs, playing with himself. Meanwhile, and who knows what is under under his other tabs? Right. Okay. So, who like he doesn't get that, and then. I read the comments, I like to read comments because people are fucking stupid. People are fucking stupid. Like I swear to you, reading the comments of things, you get to know how dumb people really are. And so, so well, he makes all the, he makes the more, more money than that guy. So literally everything's about money, but no one complains about the richest people in the world making more money. Yeah. While they slave out everybody else's humanity, no one complains about that. But so you complain you, about the athlete.
1: Yeah. You complain um, about the coach. It's, it's the easy way. No it's com- the easy. It's the easiest thing to do, right? It's the easiest yeah. thing to do because it's right in front of them. You don't know who the you know the AJ Prellers are. the you know the, you don't know all the GMs and and the Andrew Freemans of the world. They don't know. They're not going to be always talking to the media. What they do? No. Right? You know. They, but they do don't
2: the talk- GM, The GMs are obligated. The manager's obligated, but the nerds the behind it that are controlling the game, <laughs> the owner, owners are owners are yeah. not obligated. No, at all. Not. But the no. nerds behind the game, they're not obligated to speak. They just say, "Oh well, if it if something happens, see, I told you. If it doesn't happen, well, well, well he was out of position, or he threw it and he didn't throw it. Like they don't have to. They don't have to answer any questions. So and I see what type of manager me, you'd be.
1: I can see what type of manager you'll be. You'll be hard nose. I'm both.
2: I'm both like data is important. Right. Because it's, it's showing like, this is what the game is. It's the guy does this. It's showing what he is. But at the same time, you have to understand the player.
0: Right. Exactly. Like,
2: you just have to understand, you got to understand, you got to understand the player on the mound. And it, I think, one of the biggest things with the analytical thing will always boil down to Kevin Cash taking out Blake Snell. He was mowing down the Dodgers in Game Six. Hey, mowing down them, he had seventy-four pitches when they took him out, something like that. Seventy-four pitches for a guy who just won the Cy two years prior. Seventy-four pitches, he's just breaking a sweat. I don't give a damn if you took the ball from Clayton from uh, Clayton Kershaw. If you took the ball from Jacob Degrom. You took the ball from Max Scherzer. They would probably. You, you, no, first off, you can't take the ball from them. They'll say, "Get the fuck off." They'll say, "Get the fuck off the mound. Take your ass back to the dugout." What are you doing? Right. Okay. But Tampa's philosophy, I get it. Third time through the lineup, we don't know it. It just shows that data from uh, from this guy that went to to Yale says that if you this data does this and does hey. I just seen this guy mow down the best lineup in baseball with 74 pitches. He's the Cy Young guy. He's not our fifth starter. He's the Cy Young guy. You're it's game six of the World Series. You got 110 pitches. Do what you need to do. You got a hundred, you you've got to you say you need to come out. Yeah. That's uh, what I you think, have.
0: yeah, I
1: think I'm the, you, you, you I'm the same way with you, dude. I'm the same way with you when when a guy's I am, I'm a firm believer of the analytics side. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. there's something called overmanaging and, and yes. overdoing it. And that's what we saw from that, from, from that Blake Snell situation where he yes. is in a groove. You don't touch a guy who's in a groove. You just don't same thing with the guy in the lineup. If he is crushing the ball, batting sixth, he's pitting 400 in the first month of the year batting sixth I'd say don't move him he's comfortable he <laughs> sees more fastballs down the bottom of the order so just let it be and i think that needs to be back in the game and hey look dude i can see you i can see you playing for the padres but i can see maybe even being a manager for the padres who knows <laughs>
2: i uh, managing uh, it's 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 tough because obviously the commitment is big and yeah. i need i need time i need time when i'm when i'm done playing i need time away from the game I need time to just, oof. I need time to just get away, be on my own schedule, just have a freedom, have a summer, just do whatever I need to do. But hey, guess what? Dude? I, I mean, baseball's I waiting. I would love baseball to manage. Will wait, yeah, baseball yeah.
1: will wait for you. That's the thing; it'll I, always be there. I would love to.
2: I would love to manage. I would love to be a leader. I mean, I, I mean, I am a leader. That's you know. I just got out of quarantine here in Japan, and the first day, I had seven players come up to me and just for hey. What am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? How am I doing this? And obviously, you know, here is different because I'm a major league player talking to them, opposed to a major league player talking to major league player. Egos, money that they're making. Guy making twenty million dollars don't really give a damn about what the next guy's got to say. But at the same time, it's just, um, you know, I'm I'm a player that, and I have been a player that understands the data, but at the same time explain the data don't tell me and i and i and i got another great story of me in the in the GM in the analytical department and whoo, whoo, whoo. get into it ooh, man oh wanted to strangle somebody during these meetings oh i'd uh, I like to hear it Ooh ooh, but uh just like you know use the data for what it's for it's data it's information it's not the means to me all the last team to implore anything i think that it was actual fact of data was the braves run in in the mid in the late 90s when greg maddox could put the ball where he wanted to put it tom glavin could put the ball where he wanted john smoltz could put the ball where he wanted Steve Avery could put the ball where he wanted. And Denny Nagel could put the ball where he wanted. No staff has been that good since. Quote me on that. You can fact check it. You can do whatever you want. No staff has been that good since then. The Brewers with their top three has been close. They've been great. They weren't three. They weren't five. That was three out of five. And they've been in those three with damn good with Peralta Burns and and, uh, and Woodruff. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and you've had good staffs throughout with, you know, Scherzer, with uh, um, Strasburg, Sanchez. Like, there's been, you know, and I I faced Scherzer, Verlander, Price. Okay? We faced them. You're talking about three out of five. I'm talking about five guys that can do equally what the previous guy did on the night. And that just means that data is great. Nerds are great for everything.
1: <laughs> Nerds like, are great. Put that like on to, a t-shirt. I, I
2: would, like I said, like I've been, I've been trying to, I've been watching Family uh, Family Matters with my kids, like showing them that Steve Urkel was like the, the, the Steve Urkel's this freaking superhero. The dude is awesome, and I actually know Jaleel White. Professional, like away from the game, away from uh, you know, from oh, really? and, and yeah, and I talked to him about his show, and he's just like, man, it's like people don't, people didn't realize the greatness of Steve Urkel until years and years later, because everybody wanted to get caught up in you know Laura being pretty. Everybody wanted to caught up being Eddie with Eddie Winslow being cool. They forgot to take in consideration the reason of everything. Like it's great to hit home runs. What about the guy? Who's the most important guy on the staff? Who's the most important guy in the clubhouse? Who's the most important guy in your field? Obviously, everybody. But you have to, you know, when it comes to sports, right? You can, I mean, you can hit 40, 50 home runs and don't make the playoffs and nobody, nobody, care. nobody cares. Great season. Nobody, nobody cares. Have we talked the one time in the close season? Have we talked one time about Vlad Jr. Nope. Otani. Nope. One time. Nope. Now are they now, are they in MVP consideration? Hank Aaron Award, all that kind of the the you know they had they both have had phenomenal seasons. I think they're both unbelievable players. All that. But have we spoke one time about them in the nope. last? Have tweets? There has not been tweets about Otani. Ben Verlander's. Gee, just. He wants to kiss Otani on the mouth. <laughs> I, I and I've spoken to him. He wants to kiss them all on the mouth. Has he spoke one time about Otani since postseason started? Well, no. no. Has, has he? No, no. because the, the postseason is a completely different thing, you know. And I, I'm, I'm showing my kids these games. Webb is old school pitching: sinker, slider, changeup, like sinker, slider. You know, and I watch Strowman's tweets. I'm really good friends with with uh, Marcus Strowman, and he's he's like, you know, his insight is ridiculous. You know, because he's just a he's a positive aura. He needs to be the boost in he, the off season when no, he's not making the he, playoffs. Yeah, he's unbelievable because yeah, I he think gets so. the he gets the game, and and but there's no bias to it, and mm. he is just he just speaks the truth about the game and what he sees. And people hate on him because he's positive. He's positive within himself. Like yeah. that's the biggest thing. As you as you get older, people hate when you believe in yourself, because a lot of people hate themselves, and that's just reality, which sucks. People yeah. are depressed, people all that. That sucks. But you haven't talked about anything. We haven't we haven't discussed all that. Like like Bellinger got a big base hit tonight. Do no one gives a shit about that? He hit 165 during the season. Who cares about that?
1: Yeah, it's we kind of all in the rearview the, mirror now. Yeah,
2: who cares? He got the biggest hit of the season right now for himself. He sees he, he, obviously not alone, but with that hit, sent them to the the uh, National League Championship Series. Yeah,
1: all it takes hey, is all it takes. He had 165 one hit
2: 165 during the season, so yes. so that he hit that. Who cares? He got the hit that led them to the National the National League Championship Series. Like that's what I would want to bring to any team is the positivity that look at you went 0 for 4. Well shit you just faced Kershaw. You faced Buehler. you faced Bueller. Uh don't worry. A lot of people went 0 for four that night. Okay. Yeah, it happens. You went you're 0 for your last 20, two for your last 30. Uh Willie Mays did that. Hank Aaron did that. Barry Bonds did that. Tony Gwynn did that. Like yeah. It's part of the game. You don't need to slam your helmet. And I get frustration is part of it. I get it. That means you want frustration is part of Carmena uh, uh what's it? Com- um,
0: just just the fact that yeah. you
2: want you want to be great. Yeah. That you're frustrated because you want to be great. But it's part of the game. It's part of the sport. You want to be great. Of course you do. But at the same time I learned a long time ago: the guy on the mound, he wants to eat steak and lobster too. You know, he, he don't want to eat yeah. ramen. He wants to eat steak no. and lobster too. So you think he's just going to throw you a fastball right down the middle so you can hit the ball out of the park? Hell no! Battle. This is chess. It's not checkers. And you know, with this, it, it's just that that's how I would be as a manager. Is like I get the nerd side which I highly, highly respect. And calling them nerds is obviously always rude, but at the end of the day, these some bitches went to, went to all these high prestigious universities and you're taking a $50,000, 75000 check just to, to do this when you could have easily made 20, 25, I mean, probably three to four times as much in the actual field that you deserve, you bastards. But you want to be in baseball, which I get it. Baseball right. is, is great. Being major baseball is phenomenal. Or any sport, baseball, basketball, football. I got friends. My wife has friends that have taken lesser pays that they honestly deserve to be in said sports. And I get it. But I would be that bridge of like, okay, I get that. I get that. I get that. I get it. But at the same time, look at this guy. This is how he looks this day. Don't tell me anything different. I don't give a damn what your numbers say. The guy has seventy-four pitches through six innings, and is mowing Keep down the best freaking line. He's and he's your and he's your Cy young guy. He's not a young guy. You yeah. see tonight. You see tonight. Webb went uh, what a hundred and some pitches. Yeah. And I'm and I'm watching the game like. There's like, how are you keeping this guy in? It's a close game. He hit. He hit three times. How are you keeping this guy in? You are keeping this guy in because you believe that his stuff is mm, good, yes. And he's your star. You believe his stuff is good and it's working. And I get the I get the analytical side. The third time through is ah like, this and this. I get it. Hey, again, if the guy is dealing, you stick with the gun that is going. And I think as from a manager, murder. I would be that way. I learned a lot from Buck Showalter because we start we start to implement the analytical side. Mm. But he, but he was like, I get, I get it. But at the same time, I trust my guys. Buck's Buck's greatest strength. People never want to talk. Buck's greatest strength was not our everyday lineup. Our everyday lineup was our great was obviously a great strength. His greatest strength was the bullpen. How to every day? It, right? We, I mean, we, our our lineup was 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 set in stone. You know, we knew we knew the guys that were, we had six guys that were playing 140, 150 games for five, six years straight during his tenure. The last couple of years, you know, seven, seventeen, eighteen, shit. That wasn't good. But it was <laughs> a lot of it wasn't his fault. It was financial issues. You can't re-sign these guys, that guys, and all that right. kind of thing. But that's just again, that's the business side of it. But his greatest strength was managing the bullpen. He trusted that his starters would start and be ready to play. Now, did we battle injury? Did we battle uh, scrapes, scratches, pulls, bruises? Of course, we did. But we went into it. If he asked us, "Hey, can you go?" We said, well, "Look, man, for you, for Skip, we were, for not for you. I mean, for you, but for for the guy behind us, the entire clubhouse. Hey, nah, I'm ready." And my next, my like the guy sitting next to me was in my locker was JJ Hardy, who was a little couple years older than I am and battled different injuries. Showed up every single day ready to go. Every single day ready to go. And I would tell Show hey, give this guy a day off. Give him these days off. Like I I, I see him every day. I'm with him. Like give him give him these days off. But JJ, knowing I know JJ, he's like, nah. Nah, I'm I'm, I'm good. No, nah, nah, I can play. I can, and I, and I know, watching him, he's like he's battling these things. I was battling things. CD was battling things. Scope, Machado, uh, Weeters, Davis, like we all were battling things. But we knew that. Look, I wanted to be out there every single day for the man next to me because I, he would do the same for me. That's why we were successful from twelve to sixteen. Were we were the most talented team. No. Yankees obviously have this crazy talent. Boston has a crazy talent. Right. And, and, you know, Tor- Toronto in 14 through 16, they were really, really good. They talent, proved itself. And it's like, you know, with Tampa, they obviously have always been just, just who the hell is this guy, but he's good. That's Tampa Bay. Who the hell is this guy, but he's good. And, you know, we, we, we used, our experience but we also use the fact that we believed in each other to a factor and again as a manager that's what i would employ is that my veterans take care of the team i don't want anybody outside of my clubhouse influencing my team this clubhouse will influence themselves we police ourselves I don't care what happens outside. And that was Buck's biggest thing. What happens outside is what happens outside. I'll take care of it. If there's questions about anything, I'll take care of it. You guys handle and police yourselves. I'll never forget, we had a team meeting about, he said, look it, you guys, we're going to create team rules. We're going to have these rules and they're going to maintain these rules the entire year. And he said, these rules start with this. He walked the fuck out. You guys can, and it, what is he walking out? He said, you guys make the rules. This is your team. This is not my team. This is your team. And we interesting.
1: So you know what, we Adam? We two rules. What are those two rules?
2: Police yourself and show the fuck up every day.
1: I mean, look. That is why I think you'd be successful. I mean, you've been around a lot of professionals over your career where Tony Gwena and they ended up a book show Walter, and you have the experience. So if there is ever an opportunity and if I one day have uh, a bigger voice than I have now, I will 100% back you. You are, uh, in my book, ready, ready to manage, but you're still playing. But I do want to say, Adam, I appreciate you coming on. This is over two hours and I cannot thank Jeez. you enough. Yeah, yo, you got to go to sleep. You got to play tomorrow, I'm assuming. but Damn. Yeah, dude. Uh, I mean, this is great. We started at 9. It's 11.17 now, East Coast time. Uh, Adam, plug your stuff. I know you got a podcast. Plug your social. Uh, tell them where they can find you.
2: Yeah, uh, obviously, simply aj 10 is my Twitter, Instagram. Uh, Instagram, I post a lot of very funny memes. My wife gets really mad at me. Um, but Twitter... <laughs> is uh, simply aj10 also and you can find me at heckle d's podcast h-e-c-k-l-e-d-e-e-z podcast and obviously it's since you know fans have heckled me throughout my career we just you know brother-in-law created a, a good podcast of heckle d's where we just let it fly and have a good time very respectful as i've always been you know through the waves but at the same time i uh I just try to voice my true opinion. I try to give the, the, the facts. I try to give the uh, opinion of the sports world that most people don't get to see. You know, obviously we all think that sports are just what we see on TV. That's a a minute uh, part of the game. And I just try to just, you know, just, just give stories from my perspective. And so far it's been, it's been good. And, Again, like tonight, I appreciate you for having me on, and um, I just again, I just try to give uh, some stories from from my career, and you know, just 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 try and and again, get just give the perspective from the baseball player because what we see on TV is not necessarily true, and right. uh, most, a lot right. of players don't necessarily offer all their expertise, and you know, I'm an open book, so I just again appreciate the opportunity, and I'm. I'm always grateful to be able to share the major league life and the major league experiences with anybody
1: well adam i hopefully we can get you back on as a recurring guest but thank you and uh, appreciate the time appreciate it always
2: anytime buddy
0: anytime